0: The funds that we're getting ready to see are are funds that our six year olds are going to be paying back in about 10 to 20 years. Right. And when they're paying it back, that infrastructure we placed today better be in play and robust and working. That's a whole different thought process than we've had in the past 20 years. Right. We've continued to build infrastructure that is dead at the end of the subsidy. Welcome
1: to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. So just a little confused, got off the plane late last night, still re-acclimating to my my home, Minnesota. Today, we're speaking with Russ Elliott, who is the CEO of Siskiyou Telephone. Welcome to the show, Russ.
0: Hey, thanks, Chris. I'm excited to be here.
1: I'm excited, too. It's really great to... To reconnect with you on uh, the um, now that you 're in a new position, uh, you were formerly the director of the Washington State Broadband office. We talked um, occasionally there are more I, I should have talked to you a lot more. I feel like. I, I constantly wanted to find ways of helping you, but then there's just so many other priorities that I just abandoned you and left you to your own devices.
0: <laughs> uh, you know what, you were, you, were, you were a tremendous asset and a, and a great phone a friend, you know, as I was working through that process, especially on the, on the municipal side and the public infrastructure side, you know, with, with a state like that, that really started to swing really strongly into the, the public network side, you know, to have people like you out there was key and, and I appreciated your support. And, and before
1: that, you, you've been in this business quite a bit. Just give us a, the 30-second like run that you've had through working on broadband and telephone.
0: Yeah, it, it, well, it started in Colorado, in Southwest Colorado, uh, where we started a company called Brainstorm down there. And uh, it was a CLEC, and we grew that uh, business to about... Uh, somewhere around fifteen thousand subs, uh, you know, from all of Western Colorado, Northern New Mexico. We grabbed a lot of the anchor institutions through there, plus the communities. We kind of had an approach where we would go and get the anchor, and the anchor gave us the opportunity to spread to the to the surrounding territories. And that was that was what was exciting about that work for me is that we became endeared in communities, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I think it's backwards nowadays. You know, I don't think that same mm-hmm. kind of drive is there to where you do the anchor plus. I think it's always been anchor and then go, you know, kind of thing. But it was we that were 20, 30
1: at- years ago. What- What's the timing ring on that? It would have
0: been 99 to between 99 to 2010, 11. We sold it in 2013. We uh, sold it to a company up in Denver that, that completed the ring and really brought a robust, uh, you know, complement to their, to their company up there. And uh, it was a, it was a great, it was a great run. And, and we got to serve a lot of, uh, you know, tribe, tribal entities in that region and got a lot of, a lot of good partnerships uh, through there and got a lot of experience in that. And then from there, uh, you know, I got a call from uh, Governor Meade in Wyoming and he said, hey, you know, could you come up here and help me develop a broadband office? And I said, I don't know what that is. And he said, <laughs> you know, I don't either, but we need one. <laughs> and, and so, you know, so I ran up to Wyoming and and uh, and uh, was successful at starting a broadband office up there and had a, a great run with Governor Mead and Governor Gordon. and And they were really proactive in the conversation and they were very much you know, very much uh, allowing me to to do what I thought was right, you know, and, and in a state like that, where you had 500,000 people in the state the size, of, you know, one of the bigger states landmass in the country, it became a real challenge. That's kind of how I made my made myself important in this space, because I started to say, well, you can't just say you need better broadband until you know exactly what it is you're trying to get and, and quantify the conversation a little bit more. And when you're so spread out, like we were in Wyoming, it became, okay, uh, I need to know where you are, First of all, I need to know what kind of service you have, what technology you're doing there. And then I'll start to research about what's what the opportunities are around you, what the competitors are around there, what the 477 data is saying about that area. And then we can start to talk more intelligently about how we're gonna solve the problem or come together. So it became this real community up discussion that we really had to start to engage the people in the conversation and not allow the providers to 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 control the conversation in a, in a state like that. So did some real creative mapping stuff there. And I think that's what got me recruited to Washington state uh, sh- shortly thereafter, because they saw some of the good work we were doing and how we were working with some, some great partners in, in that space. And, and uh, then I went up to Washington state, started the broadband office up there and, and uh, was lured up there with the, with the promise of hundred billion hundred million dollars and a staff of many and, and a budget. And I got up there and I think it was, well, I don't think I got up there and it was me. And my budget was 250,000 bucks, <laughs> you know, go build a broadband office, go. We believe you could do it. You know, right. And, uh, <laughs> but, and, and, and so, you know, what I did right away is started to stand at the mapping started really build a community up discussion. Uh, my dear friend and a friend of yours, I know Monica Babine was up there and she, she helped on the, uh, on the broadband action team model stuff that, you know, we're really talking about the equity and inclusion piece. And, and we, we got a real head of steam just, as a one man shop. And then I brought on a halftime person in there that really helped me start to, you know, bring my crazy head out on paper. And, and, uh, and then we, we, we developed a plan and it was a very compelling plan for Washington state and lo and behold, the pandemic comes right. And so we were broadband before broadband was cool. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, I think legislators started to see that, that, that was critical infrastructure. And, uh, and uh, just before I left there, we were awarded about $350 million to uh, to establish that office and do good work. And I was putting together a team and put a nice team of 10 together. And then I uh, got recruited out of Washington State back into the private sector. And, and so I'm down here now in uh, Siskiyou County. Right? Well, and,
1: and we'll talk in a second about what Siskiyou's like. But I wanted to tell you that yesterday I was speaking uh, on a panel at the New Jersey uh, League of Municipalities. And one of the people that was asking questions in the audience was like, you know, I live in in South New Jersey, where there's not a lot of folks around, and it's pretty rural, and I don't know if we're ever going to have good broadband. And so I said, well, let me tell you something. (laughs) We got broadband all across North Dakota. Like like I was just talking with a friend of mine who's up in Siskiyou County. You know what Siskiyou Siskiyou County is? It's like one and a half Delawares with nobody living there. And exactly. he's figuring it out. I'm pretty sure we can figure out South Jersey if we put our minds to it.
0: Yeah, no question. Yeah, that, and hence is the challenge. We land here at a place where, you know, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for these small incumbent telephone companies because I believe there's a real place for them in this in this effort. And, and there's a lot of work that's getting done in this space, especially with these small incumbents, that's going unrecognized. And unfortunately, a lot of these small incumbents get lumped in with those great big incumbents, mm-hmm. right, that maybe are bad actors and haven't been performing in the way they should be with regard regard to some of the subsidies they've received and not reinvesting in their networks like they should. But it shouldn't fall foul to these, these uh, good performers and these little, these little guys that are doing great work in these very rural areas that otherwise you're never going to see broadband in these spaces, right? This yeah. is not an attractive space for competition. You know, I don't have a lot of people knocking on the door saying, hey, we'd love to come in. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a telephone company, so I've got to wholesale my network regardless because I'm tariffed and I'm regulated. Well, there's nobody knocking on my door saying, Hey, I'd like to come in and serve the, the 58 homes. You have in Aetna, <laughs> you know, it's just not, yeah. it's not happening. So, so, you know, it's always been a, a an opportunity for me, even as, as the director to recognize these small incumbents that are doing great work. Washington state had a number of them that were hundred percent built out fiber to the home already well before pandemic. Right. So these guys were, they've, they've been investing that, that subsidy they received. They do receive rich subsidies from the federal government, the state government, but then they, you know, the ones that are doing it right, take that money and, wholeheartedly reinvest that back in that network and serve those people that otherwise, you know, would never get broadband service.
1: I think it's on the order of like a thousand or more ISPs in the nation. And sometimes people use the term industry or incumbents to just talk about the biggest ones and then not like the top 50, like the top 10, you know? (laughs) And I think it's it's a good reminder for people not to use those terms because the vast majority of local companies, like you're describing, most of them are doing a really good job. Um, yeah. part of the uh, the uh, NTCA, uh, mm-hmm. which is uh, the rural Broadband uh, Group. Uh, a lot of those local companies have been investing in fiber for a long time. Um, some of them are co-ops. Some of them are private companies, but they're they're living there in the community. You're one of those. California's got 10, you tell me. Uh, so so you're kind of <laughs> overlooked in, uh, in the legislature often. But I said no one lives there. You said you, you got what, like 8,000, uh, 9,000? Yeah, families? we got about
0: 9,000 citizens. We've got about forty five forty six hundred sites and in a, in a size you, you you described it right, you know one and a half Delawares you know and, or one and a half Rhode islands and, and when you think about that, you know you look at the population of Rhode Island, I think you 're a million there you know it, it makes sense to go serve Rhode island right it doesn 't make mm-hmm. a whole lot of sense to start running fiber when when you 've got homes less than two per mile, and two per mile is that 's kind of a misnomer because you know you 've got your pockets of population in these towns in these rural towns. But then you've got these reaches that are that are silly, you know, that are out in the middle of nowhere. And you got to go where's our, our service territory to drive around our service territory one time, six and a half, seven hours to drive right. around.
1: And, and we were just talking beforehand. Um, you ain't got a lot of utility poles because they burn down. And it's yeah. not like you're in Minnesota where, sure, you can drive long distances with a plow sticking out the back of the truck and, um, you know, pulling along uh, the, the, the plow to just put it in the, in the ground. But uh, you're not doing that a whole lot either out there.
0: No, you know, we're such a granite based county that we're, we're, we're doing rock saws and boring and and uh, the hammer jack drills with the great big heavy equipment and we're blowing bits up and we're, we're dulling saws, you know, it's, and it's interesting. So when you start to think about that, you know, everybody says, oh, yeah, it's easy to do fiber, you know, it, it's, it's 30,000 bucks a mile and you just got to do a couple of poles, you know, here and there. But when you're in a place where where fire takes those poles down pretty rapidly, as you have seen over the last five years in this territory, you got to take it into the ground. And when you take it into the ground, it's going to cost you you know, somewhere between one hundred seventy to two hundred thousand bucks a mile, which, you know, when you're talking about houses being a mile apart, you can start to do the math pretty quick. Right. Yeah,
1: and, you, you know, not but, all of
0: them are owned by billionaires. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I don't think we have any. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe we do, and they're probably reclusive. They don't want broadband. They don't want you to know they're there. But, but you know, that the interesting thing is, is it's just it's such a such a challenge to do this. But it's it's an obligation that we've we've taken on, and, and companies like this say, look, we're going to get it done. We're going to invest these subsidies that we're getting. We're going to make certain that gets done. Problem is, the subsidies coming at a rate where when you're talking about those types of monies, it's going to be a ten year build. Right? Mm-hmm. People need broadband now. And so, you know, when we start to talk about, is it affordable to do it? Well, I think we've changed the definition of affordability by saying billions and trillions coming out of the federal government. So I think now it's, let's get the most robust infrastructure we can to everybody we can. And I, I consider it's probably affordable, you know, and so based on the types of dollars we're getting now. So now it's just a matter of building those plans and, and really starting to get those last miles served. But like we talked about too, you know, that, that, that area where the, the people tend to gather, uh, that's, that's one price. But then when you start to build outside of those areas, that's probably 10x that price. So most companies build to those more dense areas first because that's where they get the bigger return for that dollar, just like everywhere. But then it's going to cost you 10x to build outside of that. And that's, you know, that's where we're at. I think that's where a lot of this country is at right now. We're at that, we're at that big exponential build cost out there, and we have to take that into consideration. And, and again, I, don't, I, don't, you know, I, I like the technologically agnostic conversation at times but i also think that has to happen at the at the end of the exhausted fiber conversation you have to exhaust the the conversation to bring in that future proof infrastructure that you know that will be there for decades you know mm-hmm. to come and that that is scalable
1: i got to think that's especially important for you because you you have a enormous one time cost to connect a lot of those folks but then even on top of that you know your service technicians in the truck maybe i'm going to guess they maybe can do like between five and 10 service calls a week and um because you know you're in the truck for three or four hours for some of these um to go one way maybe not stuck in traffic unfortunately but um you have uh you know an an isp in a more urban area their service technicians are going to do seven ten calls um every two days probably so like there's there's a real extra cost that you have that you need the fiber to make sure you're minimizing how many calls you have but even then you're going to have some calls and and so you have a lot of operating expense.
0: You do, and it is, and that's the, one of the conversations that we're going to have to have down the road as to how do you how do you maintain the integrity of these organizations after the infrastructure is built, you know, to ensure that these citizens can continue to receive that rich service and that critical infrastructure, and uh, you know, those conversations will be had here in the, in the next decade, I would imagine, to where you know how do you make certain that happens. But it's just like everything else, you know, uh, if we believe broadband is a critical infrastructure like we do roads and bridges and schools and libraries and those kind of things, it's just everybody's going to have to chip in to ensure that these these types areas continue to have you know have the ability to 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 benefit from those services
1: Now, one of the things that uh, you've given a lot of thought to the middle mile and uh, we see money going out right now for middle mile. And I don't think anyone would dispute that there's a significant need for middle mile in a lot of areas. But I think you're concerned about whether or not uh, middle mile is done in a way that will kind of encourage growth and investment or not by just snatching up all of the anchor institutions. So so what, what do you get concerned about when you just hear people rhetorically throwing out the idea that we need more middle mile?
0: Yeah, you know, just from my industry experience, you know, I've seen middle mile networks in Colorado, Wyoming, Washington, and now they're talking about, you know, three and a half billion dollar investment in middle mile here in California. And many of those middle mile networks are set up to and funded based on the fact that they're going to go chase anchor institutions in, 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 in rural communities, right? So they feel like they're doing good work. And it's that, it's that unintended consequences of good intention, right? And that happened in Wyoming. It happened in Colorado. It happened in, in Washington as well, where you've got these middle-mile networks that mean good. And they go out and they're, they're intended, to, the, the Obama you know, money that was out in the ARA time, you know, hey, you've got to hook up all the schools with fiber. Well, that sounds like a great idea. But when you've got these providers that are in these smaller rural areas and you go snatch that one economic you know, driver out of their out of their economic model you are crushing their ability to continue to provide service in those markets you know as as the Seleck in western Colorado I was highly dependent and the 50 employees that I had were dependent on our ability to maintain the integrity of our relationships with those anchor institutions and we were doing good work and you know the, and, the, and they appreciated our our service and our and our you know our service people the localness of the service, they appreciated too. And, and in Colorado, I was successful at going in when they had the Eagle Net model, uh, sitting down with those folks and saying, wait a second, you know I, I'm going to have to let go of most of my team if you come over here and you just grab all these anchor institutions and you run away. Because I grabbed an anchor institution. When I grabbed an anchor institution, I served the citizens around it. Mm-hmm. My model was if I grabbed a school, I wanted to serve the students and the teachers. This was back in in two thousand, in 2001, 2003, way before pandemic and before this was cool. It just made sense for me. And you become endeared in those communities. And we did great work through Western Colorado in some of the most hardest to reach areas, deep canyons, fourteen thousand foot mountains. You know, we're putting towers at thirteen five, growing broadband into Telluride. You know, what I mean, it was it was an amazing it was an amazing process. But we were we felt like we were committed to the communities that we served, and we had that endearment and we had that obligation. We felt the obligation to serve, even though we we're a competitive carrier, we felt obligated to take care of those people. It's kind of like you said, though, Chris, you said at one time, sometimes you're self-regulated. You go to church, you go to school, you go to the grocery store, you go out to eat. And and you're around all the people that you're serving because you live and breathe and, and occupy those service territories. And so you hear about it and you are, you know, you have just internal pressure to make certain that you're performing well. And, and so we really did that. And when you do these middle mile networks and you just come in and grab the anchor and you run away, you, you've you've destroyed the economics of it. You have no no obligation to serve anybody outside that territory. And in Wyoming, you know, when I talked to the CIO there, when I first got there, he said, you know, hey, we're doing great work because when we do this, we're paying the incumbents to build their networks out. And that'll just automatically lead to more broadband to people. Well, that's what you would think. But what happens is that's a big, fat, juicy, ripe apple that I'm going to grab off the tree and I'm going to run away and not mess with all the green ones around. I'm going to go find another big, ripe, red, ripe apple, collect that money and not have the obligation to serve all those those little accounts around that big guy. So,
1: I mean, if I just jump in for a second, yeah, I yeah. think, I mean, the issue here is that you have these home or you have these anchor institutions and maybe in the mid two thousands or something like that, they're paying uh, an inordinate amount of money. I mean, just like well above market rates and maybe they're paying that to a local company. Maybe they're paying that to uh, another company. So that creates um, a opportunity for someone to come in. And that person's going to charge an amount that's perhaps less. And the question is, with all of that margin that you have, because you're charging so much more than it really costs to provide, uh, what are you doing? Are you going to be reinvesting that in the community or not? And one of the challenges I see is that You know, when I was looking at EagleNet, some of these providers, it seemed like they were providers that they were also small companies and they might be like, the owner might be living in Miami or Las Vegas and they're kind of sucking the the juice out of the community. And the problem is, is that like trying to have a one size fits all, you know, approach from the state doesn't really work because like right. you, you can't treat all providers the same. They're, they're different. Some of them, like you said, they have an investment. They're going to over five years, they're going to build out to every last address and others are just going to try and sit on that uh, anchor institution and bleed it dry.
0: And don't, and don't forget the fact that most of those anchor institutions, especially in the educational side, are, are recipients of the E-rate subsidies, right? So yeah. they, don't, they don't even realize it. They, if it was a $5,000 circuit, 90% of that was paid by E-rate. I, you know, I'm only paying 500 bucks a month for, for 5,000 bucks. It seems like a great deal. You know, mm-hmm. I'm getting, I'm getting a T1 for, for, for two great back in the day, you know, for two <laughs> grand, you know, and, and I'm only having to pay $200 a month for that. What a win that is, you know? And, and so, you know, there, there was a, a lot of that, um, you know, a lot of that going on as well with regard to what the true economies of, <laughs> of that, of that model was.
1: Yeah and so then the other piece of it is is that if you are looking at an at an entire region that doesn't have decent internet access and you're thinking oh I'm going to put some middle mile in here and magically we're going to have a lot of last mile investment it's not really how it works <laughs> like no, I mean no. you could build all kinds of middle mile in Siskiyou county and you still got to figure out like that cost of connecting those individual homes is obscene
0: yeah, you could run that middle mile right down, you know, the highway through the middle of, of the town. But you, like we said, you know, we're miles to, to last mile stuff. And so it, it perhaps starts at the last mile back to generate the middle mile. So there has to be this has to be a a, a concerted conversation. Right. It's got to be these got to come together as one conversation. You can't have a middle mile group out there trying to do middle mile, middle mile, middle mile only without some input from last mile people that say, hey, I need it over here. <laughs> you know? Right.
1: And don't put it over there. We already got it over
0: there. You know, let's make this let's this resiliency going. Yeah. Yeah. And and a lot of this middle mile stuff needs to be put into the the, the conversation of redundancy. You know, there's gonna be a lot of need for looping things and redundancy and, and and so much of that middle mile conversation should be had with the last mile players that they say, you know, hey I'm one path in, you know, I'd love a second path out. And here's my last mile builds that I have here. I'm going out this way. I'd love to go out that way. You know, mm-hmm. how do I get how do I get some middle mile that'll take me out that way and maybe bring economies to my back haul and, and that kind of stuff? So you can't have the conversations independently. They have to be had simultaneously.
1: So let me ask you, changing topics to the states and what they're going to be doing here. You know, I, I find it pretty amazing. We we're talking, and you said that there's a bunch of state. I knew some of them, but a bunch of the people who have been heading up broadband for the states are are leaving for for personal opportunities. At the same time, aren't you a little bit sad? I mean, here you are moving to like face these really big challenges. You, you moved to Washington, you had no budget, you know, this Washington is going to have more than a billion dollars to figure out what to do with in broadband. And you're like, that's not someone else's problem. (laughs) Aren't you a little bit like
0: you want to, you want to, you want to divide up some of that money? What, what makes me most sad is that I was invested in that, in that effort up there. And I was excited about it. And, and, you know, the unfortunate thing is the economics of it. You know, you've got the billions of dollars to hand out and, and unfortunately the public, the public. Well, I'll just say it the way it is. The The public sector doesn't pay, you know, the way the way private sector can now. And 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 if you're if you're going to be managing that type of projects and, the, and with that type of demand from public sector, private sector, legislators, congressional folks, there's a reason that these broadband directors are having mass exodus. Right. They're not you know, it's not a
1: 40 hour a week job. But the no, no, there was never. No,
0: no, 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 there were, no, no. There was never a week that was 40 hours. And working from home was probably the biggest killer. Of of humans, you know, in that space, because you were you were tied to a, a Zoom meeting, you know, nine to sixteen a day. Uh, you, I don't know you what know. you're
1: talking about. I don't have a rut in my hardwood floor underneath this chair. <laughs> After
0: I've been living in this house for eleven years, one year, gonna, one year, gotta, like, rut so in the look floor. At, look at that mic and everything. You look like you're you know you look like your DJ. You look good. So the whole the whole the whole process of that job and 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 the the responsibility of being good stewards and, and doing the great work there there's there's a there's an inequity there on the the, the amount of work that's put on that state employee uh, and unfortunately because of the equitable nature of pay and state state operations um, there isn't a whole lot of flexibility in the ability to allow those folks to be remunerated in a way that maybe honors this added level of responsibility and stress
1: Right now, I mean, it would not be crazy for the state of Washington or any state, especially a larger state that has uh, all this money coming to it. It would not be crazy for them to pay $500,000 a year in salary for someone to do this work, to make sure they have the right person. And they're going to lose far more than that because they're not going to be able to attract the people that they need right now, not forever, but for three, four years to come in and do this work.
0: Yeah, you lose your momentum. You lose your institutional knowledge. You lose your 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 energy, your enthusiasm. and. it's epidemic across the country, Chris. It's not just, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not just me. There are, there are five or six or seven or more others that have been part of the grassroots effort of doing this. And, and we're part of the, we're responsible for, for a lot of the energy behind, let's make broadband infrastructure critical and, you know, working with the NTIA and the state broadband leaders network and, and we're, we're key components to this, but all of them have chosen, you know, hey, given the stress and the and and all the all the yeah. responsibilities, I I think there's probably something out there that's going to pay me better to do probably far less. You
1: know, well, well let's just be clear here, right? Because like I think I threw out there like maybe they should pay five hundred thousand dollars a year. It sounds crazy, right? Well, that's nothing for an assistant coach of a football or basketball team <laughs> with public dollars in the state universities.
0: <laughs> you know, you know that, that's so funny because that was always my argument when I was talking with, you know, Washington State. I said, you know, well, they take those inequitable. We can't do that state salaries. I said, well, I know a few state salaries that seem a little <laughs> bit inequitable to the tune of three to five million dollars, right, a salary. And, and, and you can make exceptions there's no reason there can't be some exception there and if this if this podcast can be the the the, the start of a conversation nationally around can you uh, allow for those those directors and those in those those key critical positions to be remunerated at a, at a at a level that's probably equal to somebody that comes into the private sector and runs a company of similar size then we we did something good here today right i i, right. I really believe that and I, and because I try not we do we're trying to We're all passionate. We are all passionate, you know, and if you know me, you know, I'm passionate about the conversation. If you know my friend from from Indiana or my friend from North Carolina or from Tennessee or from Colorado, if you know those folks that have left those roles? They were all extremely passionate about this topic. It's just they've left for personal reasons because they have to take care of their families. And so, yeah, I would
1: never take that job. I mean, I I don't work a 40 hour week. I do a lot of stuff, but I got a six year old and like this is not a time for me to be um, ghosting my family. And, I, you know, for a lot of folks, I think that's, that's how they feel. So yeah, I, I, it'd have I, to be I, remarkable compensation. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so let me ask you though, what what were some of the, the other challenges? So obviously that was one, but like, you know, I always wonder, like, is it just like you get a, a calendar request from the, uh, the national companies, uh, the government affairs team, like every minute of every day where they're trying to get on your calendar to talk to you about this, talk to you about that. And is that yeah. something that comes up?
0: Well, that's when you got money. It does, you know. <laughs> when I didn't have a budget, I didn't have to worry about any of those conversations. Nobody called me because I didn't have any money. Minute that they they knew that I was going to receive a little bit of money, yeah, that the phone lines light up with regard to the folks that are representing organizations that could, that could potentially benefit from from the, the dollars that we see in the door. That you know, the bigger challenge though for me that was the easy stuff. The hard the hard stuff for, for me was really making certain that we're educating everybody on on the challenges of this conversation and of of what some of the good the good uh, best practices would be to solve those problems. Because a lot of these people that are leading those conversations, especially in the legislative situations or legislative positions, they they know it's a topic they need to talk about. They know it's something that's critical and important, but they don't have enough information to be skillful in, in solving the problem. They can talk about it like Mm -hmm. nobody's business, but, but it's one thing to talk about. It's another thing to actually act in and, and, and solve the problem or come up with, processes and strategies around that. that That's what the broadband office up in Washington did. We built a strategic plan right because we said we, i think we can fix this and then we're just going to need some funds and then we need to develop a, a strategic plan that we follow and here's how we're going to do it but you get a lot of legislators up they get a lot of uh, a lot of their constituents that got excited about something and and you know the minute they said it out in public it, they became famous because they said something that was that was resonating with the constituents around broadband's expensive or we need to have more competition and you know or mm-hmm. this and that and and then and they they get the you know they 'd get the pulpit and they 'd run with it and and wouldn 't really ask the questions they needed to ask in order to be intelligent in the conversation until it was too late until there was some policy out there that was like, "Oh my god how are we going to how are we going to bring that to the middle because it just it, the pendulum was just swinging left and then it would swing right and it would swing left and you know it just there wasn 't a, a level headed conversation around how do we come to a consensus around an approach that honors the good work that everybody's doing because nobody's out there trying to screw anybody. Everybody's out there trying to solve a problem. You know, maybe they're protecting their own interests in, in that, but they're, they're all part of the conversation. We need to make certain that we, we honor the people that are doing great work and the bad actors. We need to move them on and, and, and hold them accountable and, and move forward. But that educating piece was, was, was the hardest part for me is to try to get everybody speaking the same language.
1: Right. And I mean, this is something that I feel weird about because I spend I spent years and years telling people, you know, municipal broadband often works out. Um, and I, and I would say like, you know, the vast majority of the times it works out well, um, cities should all have the opportunity to consider it. And then I, I'll see people who are like, you know, all cities should build their own networks. I'm like, no, 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 no,
0: <laughs> no. That's not what I'm saying here. Right? Yeah, it, it, it does. It swings, it swings, you know, in Washington state, it swung real hard to the the, 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 to the public side, you know, and it, and it did so for a couple of good reasons. And, and I, you know, I think the outcome was good but what it has to do it's got to come back to the middle now with some of mm-hmm. those with some of those doors that have been busted open now up there they've busted the doors open they've got a lot of that public infrastructure now that's open for retail authority that's great allow for that to happen but don't don't just make it that you know let's make right. certain we allow for some of that last mile potentially good people in the in the equation we, there's a number of fiber companies or a number of incumbent small incumbents up there that are 100% fiber built out to everybody in their service territory who better to do a plus 1 Than them, right? Right. And they don't want to have you know the city of somebody owning that network when they have done a great job inside their service territory. Everybody, people are moving to that area because it is 100% fiber fed. Allow them to plus one now, or encourage that,
1: right? Or if they're plus oneing, maybe there's another one on the other side, and they're they don't have the capacity to borrow because a lot of these companies are somewhat constrained as to how much they can borrow relative to their assets. Maybe that town wants to build the network. And lease it to them and they're going to be closely coordinated with it, but it's not going to be on the balance sheet of that local company.
0: That's, that's a great point. And that's happening in Washington state right now, as we speak with one of those good companies and there is that conversation going on with those community, that community, that's a, a, a adjacent community and that same type of conversation going on. You're absolutely right. I mean, all ideas have to come to the table, right? And, and, and there aren't any really, really bad ideas. You know, <laughs> there's just a lot of ideas and some of them stick and some of them don't. And I, think- I don't know. There's a, there's a, there's a place <laughs> in Indiana where
1: they just wrote at and a check for like $18 million. And I was thinking, all right. I don't know about that one. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> I'm yeah, not saying at t is going to do nothing there, but I doubt very much they're going to get 18 million dollars worth of benefit from that. <laughs>
0: You know, I, I, I can't disagree with you because there are some companies that have been bad actors out there. And, and I think that falls back on the accountability metrics and we just don't do a good job of holding people accountable, you know, with, with actual deliverables, you know, and that, that goes with the CAF and the RDOF and all the different big funds that go out there. You know, there's just not a, there's not a realistic accountability metric in place to allow those, to allow the communities to hold people accountable. That. And that, that was one of the things we found in our mapping initiatives when we did in both states is you know we started to see where people where people were getting subsidies where companies were getting subsidies said hey what up you know you hey, you got this money you know well and then you'd hear well yeah i got the money but uh, you know i got it nationally and i have to build out to you know 80% of that within 6 years and unfortunately your little section up there is going to be the 85 to 96% and so you'll see see me sometime year 6 or 7 that was especially true in wyoming right and you know there was like yeah yeah we'll get to you but we got other things we got to do that are way more important. So then, as broadband director, I try to figure out how do I incentivize that guy to think this is more important than that other area that he's trying to build in? Can I, can I maybe throw some funds at him to, to help enhance the build and maybe expand his build so that, you know, so you always have to be creative in the thought process. So, so all I'm saying, a lot, lot of ideas and they, and they all just need to come to the table and a lot of tools in the toolbox to use.
1: So, last question is, and it's, a, it's not an easy one, is um, I was just in New Jersey. They don't have a program to distribute money. They're going to have $300 million. Uh, they don't have a, an office set up. Um, you know, it, it, It's the kind of thing where like we don't want them to be um, just throwing things together. Um, what do you advise states that haven't yet put a plan together? They have, they don't, it's like they're out of time, but they do have to move quickly and they have to move strategically. What are, the, what are some of the priorities in a state that doesn't have a, a history of acting in this area?
0: you have to get a champion. You know, I got to get somebody that sleeps, eats and drinks and wakes up to think in broadband and that, that becomes their priority and primary concern. And, One of the things that Senator Wellman in Washington State talked about, the fact that we want somebody to wake up and go to bed thinking broadband. Well, they got it, you know, and when you get that champion in there, they start to coordinate those efforts. But you do. You have to coordinate the efforts in order for you to make good investment. You have to have a central location where those conversations are being had and things are funneling through. Otherwise, you've got disparate efforts going on around the state because every state's got great actors that are that are acting with intention. But a lot of times those folks aren't coming together and having those conversations, whether it's medical field, uh, education, uh, you know, transportation, and they're all doing their own thing. They have to centralize that conversation in order to be the best stewards of the funds that they're going to see. And, you know, and in the end, I've said this a million times, I got a six year old too, right? The funds that we're getting ready to see are, are funds that our six year olds are going to be paying back in about 10 to 20 years. Right. And when they're paying it back, that infrastructure we placed today better be in in play and robust and working. That's a whole different thought process than we've had in the past 20 years. Right. We've continued to build infrastructure that is dead at the end of the subsidy. You know, here we've got to take this one time generous. Opportunity of future earnings and put it into that future proof scalable infrastructure and the only way you 're going to do that is to centralize that conversation and make sure you 're doing it in a way that you 're being being good stewards of the funds from a central location so states that don 't have some kind of a central body I, I think they 're just going to miss they 're going to miss this opportunity and it 's a one time in a generation
1: that 's where I always look at the model of Maine with the um, the maine broadband coalition. Yeah, which, Peggy um, Schaefer.
0: She's Peggy Schaefer's a freaking superstar. She's she's queen of the broadband. Yes. She,
1: and and it's just it's really wonderful that they've had the different providers. They've had local folks, local leaders. Uh, it's really been a, a great coalition across the board. And so if, for people, if you're in one of these states and trying to figure it out, you know, you could do worse than asking Peggy how they did it.
0: Yeah, exactly. That, that's exactly right. You know, talking to those people that have, that have done great work and unfortunately Peggy's towards the end of her career too, right? Here's another, there's another person of institutional knowledge. I just saw her. To I on. told her,
1: I told her she should come work for us.
0: <laughs> I think she I mean, probably had, a, she's probably had multiple job offers in this, no last, doubt. this last year where she said she's retired, you know, but, All uh, I can
1: give her is fun. I, I definitely can't outbid anyone for her, but I can tell her it'd be more fun working with me.
0: <laughs> she might be at that place where that's, 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 that's plenty.
2: Well, thank you so much for your time today, Russ. You
0: bet. You bet. Thank you, Chris. It's been a pleasure.
2: We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muni slash broadband bits. Email us at podcast muni org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at community nets. Follow muni networks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muni networks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support, in any amount, keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening.